Have you ever wondered why exactly it is that things usually sound better at home than they do on stage, in auditions, or even in lessons? It's easy to chalk it up to nerves or assume that you just have to practice more or get more performance experience. And sure, those things certainly are part of the puzzle, but a lot of times that's not really the true root cause. If you've been confused by the inconsistency of your performances, I put together a free four-minute quiz called the Mental Skills Audit, which will help you pinpoint your mental strengths and weaknesses and figure out what exactly to adjust and tweak in your preparation for more consistently optimal performances. You can take the Mental Skills Audit online at bulletproofmusician.com MSA. That's MSA for Mental Skills Audit. And again, it's 100% free, and it'll take just four minutes to get your results emailed to you as a PDF. This is Noah Kageyama, and you're listening to the Bulletproof Musician Podcast. Every Sunday morning, we'll take a look at a new research-based tip or technique to help you practice more effectively or perform better under pressure. And on the first Sunday of every month, I'll have a guest from the music, sport, or research world who will share their insights on how we can all be a little more awesome in the practice room and on stage. During my early music studies, when I was working through the Suzuki books and starting to learn longer pieces that I knew I'd have to perform from memory, my mom established a memorization process. Even before all the notes were in my fingers, she would divide the piece up into meaningful sections, and then she'd use colored pencils to shade in each section with a different color. Then, she'd ask me to create a story or a scene for each section, which would usually center around something in my life, like something that happened at school or an activity with friends in the neighborhood. Sometimes she'd even draw part of the story into the music itself. I don't think I ever had a memory issue in performance when we went through this process. And while this coloring, storytelling process isn't a thing that's been studied per se, at least that I'm aware of, it does seem somewhat similar to a memory strategy that is often used by those who participate in memory competitions. It's known as the memory palace technique, or more officially, the method of loci. The basic idea is to make it easier to recall new information by associating it with images of physical locations that are already well ingrained in memory, where you would place new bits of to-be-remembered info in different rooms in your house, for instance, or along the path you might take from your home to the grocery store, which in theory makes it easier to retrieve this info as you retrace your steps along the familiar path. It's an intriguing idea, but does it really work? I mean, there's a good bit of anecdotal evidence which suggests that this can facilitate some pretty incredible feats of remembering in the short term, but is this a strategy that leads to durable, reliable, long-term memory as well? A team of researchers from several European universities recruited 50 participants to take part in a memory study. Everyone started off with a memory encoding and recall test, where they sat in front of a computer screen and were presented with a list of 72 words, one at a time. Each word would appear on the screen for three seconds, and then there'd be a blank screen for two to five seconds, and then the next word would appear for three seconds, and so on. 20 minutes after completing this encoding task, participants were asked to write down as many of the 72 words as they could remember. And 24 hours later, to gauge how deeply these words had been encoded into longer-term memory, they received a phone call from the researchers and were once again asked to write down as many words as they could remember. 
The participants were then divided up into three groups. One group, the memory training group, was taught how to use the method of loci strategy, and they were given instructions on how to continue practicing the strategy on their own. Another group, the active control group, received training on a different type of memory, working memory to be specific. This is a temporary mental scratch pad that you use to keep information in your head until you can store it somewhere more permanent, like repeating a phone number in your head until you can write it down on a piece of paper. The last group, which was the passive control group, they received no training at all. So after six weeks of daily memory practice, 30 minutes per day, participants repeated the memory encoding and recall task with a fresh list of 72 words. And was there any change in their memory performance? Well, in the participants' initial memory recall test, before anyone received any training of any kind, all three groups performed about the same. When tested 20 minutes after going through the list of words, the memory training group recalled about 25 out of 72 words in the short-term recall test. Similarly, the active controls recalled about 31 words, and the passive controls recalled 29. And when tested 24 hours later, which is a better indication of the durability of their memory, the memory training group was able to recall just 16 of the words on the list. Similarly, the active and passive control group participants were only able to recall 19. After receiving method of loci training, the results changed quite a bit. Instructed to use the method of loci strategy when going through the list of words, the memory training group was able to recall 62 out of the 72 words at the 20-minute test. Meanwhile, the active controls managed just 42, and the passive controls only 36. 24 hours later, the method of loci trained participants were still able to recall 56 of the words on the list, compared to 31 and 21 for the active and passive control groups. The results suggest that this memory palace strategy does lead to more durable memory encoding and retention than trying to memorize a list of words without a structured strategy. But is this something you could apply to music? Well, memorizing music is certainly a different challenge than memorizing a list of words, but I think maybe it could work if you combine this with a complementary strategy involving performance cues. We took a look at performance cues a few years ago in a previous article, which you can find if you go to bulletproofmusician.com and then click the search icon and type in the words deliberate memorization, which should get you the article. It'll be the second one on the list. But the gist is that generating labels to describe the various structural or expressive features of a piece can be a helpful way of encoding the different sections of a piece into memory. Because having names for particular moments like the B minor section or the recap or the dark and stormy night section seems to facilitate recall of the music associated with that cue. So after you've come up with your performance cues, you could then create a mental pathway for the piece, like the walk from your home to your school and the various stops or features that are distinctive along the way. And then you could drop your performance cues along this path, placing each chunk of music at each of the landmarks you've identified, making it easier to remember which phrases or sections come after which, which will hopefully make memorizing music a little more fun and intentional and minimize your chances of getting lost or getting stuck in one of those dreaded endless loops in Bach where you keep going around and around in circles with no idea how to get out and make your way to the end. 
And speaking of going around and around in circles, as I've mentioned before, for most of my life, I had a pretty negative relationship with practicing. I just felt like I was repeating things over and over, and no matter how many repetitions I put in, things were still pretty hit or miss on stage. In hindsight, I can see that much of my negativity is not because I didn't care or try hard enough, but because I just didn't know how to practice very effectively, nor how to practice specifically for the unique demands of performing. Because when I began learning about strategies around effective learning and practice and the mental side of performing, practicing for once started to make a real difference. I was improving faster, the improvements began to stick from one day to the next, and they even transferred to the stage. I've been teaching these strategies, concepts, and mental skills in live in-person classroom settings for years, but this stuff actually works pretty well online too. So starting next Saturday, April 10, I'll be teaching a live, weekly, four-session, Zoom-based performance psychology class. We'll meet in Zoom and try out various research-based strategies for being more effective in the practice room, and also experiment with all sorts of techniques for managing nerves, getting into the zone, and playing with more confidence on stage. Registration does end today, so if you've been feeling demotivated lately, frustrated with your practice, or looking to change things up a bit but aren't quite sure how, this might be just the thing to help jumpstart your practice and help you feel more positive, not just about regular daily practice, but about your performing as well. You can get all the details at bulletproofmusician.com essentials.